Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them this week. The Etihad, London Stadium, the Amex, Anfield, few were safe from the intervention or a maddening lack of intervention from the referee or VAR. Plenty of sides in the Premier League can feel hard done by this week. We'll discuss exactly who and why. Plus an idea to stop players stealing yards at throw-ins. But it might be a bit more running for refs and assistants. We'll get into that a bit later. I'm Mike McCarthy, a football journalist with the iFab app installed on his phone. Joining me, as always, is Keith Hackett, former FIFA referee, ex-head of the PGMOL, who has the laws of the game engraved in his mind. And Keith, I'm just wondering if we've just seen the worst weekend so far in terms of refereeing decisions. I think we've seen some poor performances from referees. We've seen some excellent performance from referees. And, uh, you know, we've seen now the VER suddenly look at me. I'm not being used. And now I want to get involved. And I think that they're starting to <laughs> indulge themselves. Step back, please. We don't need you only on clear and obvious errors. Well, let's start at the Etihad then, because uh, Manchester City's game with Southampton, no goals. But perhaps Southampton should have had an opportunity from the spot. I say perhaps. They really ought to. Kyle Walker concedes the penalty, is red carded, but then both decisions are reversed, Keith. Talk me through this. Well, I thought the referee had got the decision right. Uh, And I'm critical of this guy uh, in terms of uh, his positioning. But Kyle Walker made a careless challenge. And I think we've got to understand the law. A careless challenge is when a player shows a lack of attention or consideration when making a challenge or acts without precaution. And in that situation, that's the law. So Kyle Walker has fouled his opponent. There's no question. And therefore, the penalty kick that John Moss awarded was correct. Now we've got, if you like, the subjectivity that comes into play in relation to the punishment. And John Moss has gone for a red card, believing that Kyle Walker has denied an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. And if I look at the criteria of VAR, the VAR shouldn't have come in. He's not made a clear and obvious error, in my opinion, and the opinion of many. Okay, we can get into a debate as to whether, in fact, Kyle Walker made an attempt to play the ball. That, that, That could be the debate. And we might think, well, did the VAR come in? because he thought the red card was wrong. Remember, under double jeopardy uh, interpretation on denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity in the penalty area, if a player is uh, a defender and the goalkeeper is making a genuine attempt to play the ball, then the outcome would be still a penalty kick for the foul, but a yellow card for the offence. Now... That's where I think there's a disagreement. I've looked several times. I thought the first time I might have given a yellow. Then I looked again and said, well, he's denied an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. So I'm going back to the original decision by John Moss. And I, I think, hey, John, you got it right. It was a penalty kick. I'd support your red card, as many would. And why did the VAR come in? 
Well, this is what I've been scratching my head over since seeing that particular challenge. Normally when I look at these things, I'm, I'm looking for the foul or the way that the official has interpreted it because I'm just thinking, well, what have I got wrong here? What have I missed, Keith? But I am still struggling to see exactly why this is not deemed to be a foul. Can you, can you shed any light on, on why John Moss and I think Martin Atkinson, the VAR, would have thought, actually, no, this is the wrong decision? Well, I've done the same, Mike, and I can only think of one thing, and this is a relationship between the referee and the VAR. And the man sitting in the seat at the VAR is probably one of the most experienced referees, uh, Martin Atkinson. And you've got to remember... He comes from the Leeds area, so does John Moss. And they work together fairly regularly. So as uh, the intervention by the VAR convinced John Moss, as he walks to the screen, his decision is wrong. And I think that there are referees that do that. I think in my own mind, they think, well, we're going to take this walk to the screen. I must have got it wrong because VAR says it's got it wrong, and VAR can see it several times. I've only got one uh, view. I thought it was a glance and not a look by John Moss. I mean, if I'm going to make a change or review a decision, as I do the weekend for this show, I'm going to look at the incident several times. And I see no reason why, if you're going to that screen, you don't look at it on more than one occasion. So for me, I think it's a relationship issue. I'm going back to the old chestnut that I believe, and maybe I'm entrenched in my ideas, and that is I would like to see this independent VAR panel made up of referees, made up of some ex-players adequately trained to be at that point where they can come in and say, right, okay, I'm going to intervene. But I don't think... Martin Atkinson should have come in at all. I think he was wrong to come in. You know, I go back, it's clear and obvious error. And you don't have to prove that you've got a job. The, the best VARs often are ones that sit on their hands and don't interfere and just watch the game, do the job, and don't look to, to get involved. Perhaps at the London Stadium, interfering not quite enough in some cases where Martin Atkinson, VAR, at the Etihad on Saturday, is then in charge at the London Stadium. Cristiano Ronaldo believing three times, perhaps, he should have got penalties. Was he correct on any of those occasions, Keith? Well, I think that there was one that was a real contact. Ronaldo's down and foul. Don't, don't judge the reputation of a player. Judge it on the incident. And certainly on one of those, we had a really... Very good view from television. It was nailed on for me. It wouldn't have been anything other than a penalty kick. There was no uh, yellow card required. The ball, in fact, was perhaps running out of play. But you never know with Ronaldo. So, look, just treat him fairly. Don't judge him on a, a reputation, because that reputation might have been earned when he first came to this country. He's matured a lot as a player. Isn't it great to have him back on the the field because he's just got presence. I wonder as well, you know, the, the, the challenge from Sufal seems like the strongest claim, as you mentioned there. It was interesting watching it again, the challenge from Zuma, and when it was stopped just before the challenge was made, it, it appears that Ronaldo is already 
going to ground. The back foot is being dragged along the grass, expecting the contact to come. And that is where it becomes extremely challenging for referees to make those calls. It's all very well, I guess, saying, well, referee should have done this, that or the other. But players might not be helping either. Oh, I think that's... I think we saw in Euros players actually genuinely behaving. I think, you know, judge the player on the incident, not on his reputation. And therefore, I think that one was not a penalty kick. And I, and I take the view that he, he was exaggerating the fall. And sometimes when a player doesn't get a penalty kick, uh, you know, we've seen that holding in the, in the penalty area and not being penalised, thinking they should have a penalty kick. They're, go, they're going to ground. That's, I think, part and parcel of the referee's task now, honest as it is, is to make those judgment calls. But not everyone, not every sort of challenge uh, is, a, is a penalty kick. Just give the ones that are. Eventually, VAR did come in and, and penalise a handball from, from Luke Shaw. Uh, but earlier on, West Ham were making a claim they should have had a penalty when Wan-Bissaka made a challenge on uh, Sujek in the area and Manchester United get the free kick. Uh, this seemed bizarre from afar, Keith. Yeah. What did you make of it? <laughs> I thought that West Ham were unlucky not to get a penalty kick, in fairness. Uh, but again, I think here the referees judged that the player's going to ground. And it... And, you know, a lot of these are subjective calls. And, and sometimes we've got a view. We've got to rely on the referee and his view. So I'm not being overly critical. I just thought it's a penalty kick. It wasn't given and, and move on. In terms of the Luke Shaw, this is um, where players have, have got to be very careful. If they extend their arm and the ball strikes, then it's going to be judged as making the body shape uh, larger, bigger, and the penalty kick is awarded. And I support the penalty kick decision. The only area of doubt for younger referees that, that watch our show, and I do know a lot do, we just have to also judge the distance because it was very short and it was a snap sort of cross. Luke Shaw's a very experienced player. He knows what that player's going to do and he's, he's extended his arm. So for me, it's a, the correct call. But in other situations, you've got to ask yourself, did the player have the opportunity to withdraw the arm? Or was it in an unnatural position? I think Shaw's arm was clearly extended. It was in an unnatural position and the penalty it was awarded. I thought Martin Atkinson got that one right. Well, that leads us neatly on to the Amex, where a penalty for handball given against Leicester City's uh, Vestergaard, uh, Brighton winning the penalty here, but Leicester claiming that Vestergaard was held by Neil Mopé and that is a mitigating factor in this situation. When you look at that again, Keith, is there something of a case for Leicester there? Oh, I think uh, Stuart Atwell, who I've sung his praises in recent weeks, he was in a great position. Um, that, you know, so he's looking at it in the round. But he's, he's been drawn into the hand when he in fact, um, it's very clearly a pull. What I found really bemusing was why did Atwell go to the assistant referee? I just worried about that because it was almost like I'll go and see the assistant. And then, of course, the perception in the with the spectators in the ground is that oh, the assistants made the decision. Don't, don't let the, the assistant carry the can. You make the call. And then I'm asking, where's VAR? Peter Banks. I mean, Peter is a, an experienced referee. He's, 
you know, I, I like his style of refereeing, low key. But on this one, I think VAR should have come in. I think it was a serious error. And I think Leicester have every right to complain. Well, Leicester are also complaining about uh, two goals disallowed for offside. There were the beneficiaries of a decision at Norwich not so long ago with uh, a player standing in front of Kasper Schmeichel. But Harvey Barnes on two occasions here ruled to be in the line of sight of the Brighton goalkeeper and therefore interfering with play. Were Leicester unlucky at all with either of those decisions, Keith? No, I think this shows um, how players have to understand the law and then adapt to it. Could that player, Leicester player, have moved into a different position? If you're going to be in the sight line of the uh, goalkeeper standing in an offside position, you're going to be penalised every day. So for me, I think those were the correct calls. It's interesting, that one, isn't it? Because uh, how close to the line of sight do you need to be? I guess, to be deemed to be interfering. And this is now, I have to hold my hand up and, and say on this show, I'm a Leicester fan. I thought the first one for Harvey Barnes, totally legitimate. I can totally see why he's in the line of sight of the goalkeeper. The second one, I'm not so convinced, Keith. Well, this is, this is why it's a judgment call. I've had this discussion with IFAB, uh, the, the lawmakers in the past. It's a law that I think is, is very subjective and down to the match official. Of course, uh, it, is a, it is a referee's call rather than an assistant referee's call. You're looking for, I think, a path of about a couple of yards wide. You know, I, I, don't, I don't take the view that a player is some distance off, is taking the eye of the referee, because that's not covered in the laws of the game. That's a, that comes under the banner of a, a psychological input into whether he's interfering with the goalkeeper because he's in his... Is in in that vision, but not in the mm. sightline. It's a subjective decision, decision. And and if I was Leicester fan, I'd be saying exactly the same as you. Why was it ruled out? But I'm actually saying this to some degree is the decision of the on-field referee on the day. I can be, I can say you got it right. I can say you got it wrong. On this occasion, I'm supporting the referee. Keith, fair enough. Let's go to Anfield next. Uh, Liverpool. Well, being held by Crystal Palace at the time of this decision, where it appears there's a trip on Benteke in the area from Liverpool's Simicas. And I'm just wondering, could there have been another look at this one in particular? What do you reckon? I think this was a penalty kick. Um, you know, I, the body language of the player who committed the signal said it all, uh, the, the foul said it all, didn't he? He held his hands up. It's I haven't touched him. You know, when that happens, the player has. But when you look at the replays, he has. The worrying thing that I had about this was um, the comments of Patrick Vieira. And, and I think that he boarded on getting himself into a problem and getting himself into the, the sort of realms of the FA interfering because he's sort of indi indicating... The old sort of story of, well, referees at, at Anfield aren't going to give the decisions and we never get a fair crack of the whip. We've heard it over the years, I have, as a referee. But in reality, in those situations, I can tell you that the psychological aspect of refereeing is you go the other way. This is about refereeing your, your brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles or whatever in a game of football you always give any benefit towards the opposition because you want to be fair. And I think when referees go to Anfield, they want to be fair. But on this occasion, this was a penalty kick. And 
Um, I think that Vieira had every right to be disappointed. It was at a really important time in the game. And, and therefore, this was an error, and it's an error that could have been avoided. What is it like uh, giving a penalty against Liverpool at the cop end, Keith? Did you ever have to do that? Uh, I just smiled. I, I, <laughs> I, think, I think that's the challenge. I can remember running the line for a referee from Swansea, Tom Reynolds. He was a great personality referee and a terrific referee, I have to say. And I was, I was running the left wing. So I was trying at times to keep up with Steve Iway. That is not easy. I'm telling you, he was, he was fast. And I'm going, I was running down. He, he, he glances across. There's nobody there. There's no Liverpool player there. So he goes for the corner kick and gets it. So I've given the corner kick. The referee's pointed to the goal kick. He's given the goal kick. And I've gone, no, no, no. And at that point, what we used to do, is come round onto the goal line. So we used to go round the flag onto the goal line. So I'm stood there and I'm going like, I'm going to look a right Aunt Sally here in front of the cop. <laughs> but I'd signalled a corner kick to Liverpool and Tom Reynolds starts to run upfield and suddenly glances across and sees me because I'm actually holding my ground because I'm 110% certain this is a corner kick, mate. And I'm going to not make your task easier but at, at the outcome's going to be the right decision and in fairness to Reynolds he turned the crowd by now are booing him and then he reluctantly he points towards the corner kick and gives it but then the next thing is he puts his finger to his head in like a gun shape and fires the gun <laughs> and sort of steps back <laughs> as though he shot himself and and the crowd applauded him but that's the sort of thing that the old I don't you know, the older referees dem were allowed to demonstrate the character, a little bit like Mike Dean, isn't it? Mike Dean, he, he gives a yellow card and then he almost, the player says, I'm unhappy. And he just holds his hand out and goes like, I can't do anything else. I've applied the law. And, uh, you know, I think that's why Mike Dean's so popular. Plenty more to discuss from the Premier League. Before we do that, though, Keith, can I ask you this question that came up on Twitter this week? Um, the football journalist Sid Lowe posing this one. And I just wondered what your thoughts were. Um, the stadium clock, we've, we've done a lot of discussion on time and time management on this show. But stadium clocks in football do not go beyond the 90th minute. And yes, you could say, well, everyone's got to watch. Everyone can look at their phones and time it themselves, how much is being added on. And is there more than the four or five minutes or whatever it is that the referee has indicated that is actually being played? But the stadium clock itself, I don't know if there's a rule, but it does not go beyond 90. Uh, there is. Why, why, why is that? Uh, well, it's because, um, first of all, the sole timekeeper in a game is, is the referee. And I think it's to reduce any potential conflict. You know, we, there has been occasions in the past. I can remember a Brazil game in a World Cup with Clive Thomas, the referee. Um, he's coming down to the closing stages of, of the game. He's looked at his watch, the corner kick to Brazil. And as the corner kick is taken, he just turns, blows his whistle and walks away. The sadness of it is that Brazil have scored and he's wiped it out. Um, <laughs> and there's no referee can actually judge that level of accuracy of the time to be ex extended. Um, so I think it's very much down to the referee. I'm convinced that we need to extend the role of the timekeeper to an independent person. 
you know, I experienced that in the early 80s in the North American Soccer League. We had a we had an independent timekeeper. I think there's only one occasion that I really, I finished up writing to the North American Soccer League administration. I was at uh, Chicago Sting versus New York Cosmos. And I looked at my watch and thinking this, I, you know, I seem to be uh, blowing a bit. Uh, and I'm thinking this seems to long off. And I looked down and I was around about 49 minutes and uh, New York Cosmos were, were winning 1-0. And as soon as uh, Chicago equalized, they all went for the uh, end of the game. And uh, I was very suspicious about, about the independent timekeeper. <laughs> but it's not put me off the fact that uh, I do think we need to get over that problem. Because I think the fans are being cheated to some degree in not having sufficient added time put on. Something you said there, though, about actually it being impossible for a referee to know more than generally how much to add on. So therefore, picking the right time to end the game is is quite important. You'll often see, you know, players if the whistle goes and there's, you know, maybe a counter attack about to be launched, going, "Well, hang on, ref, you've got to give us the opportunity to to make this attack." When I guess if, again, if you've got young referees listening, wondering when they should really stop the game, when should they stop it? I think generally when the ball's in midfield, you know, and that often is even from a goal kick, it's in the air, blow the whistle. Uh, find an appropriate time. Don't suddenly stop it at a corner kick, you know. And I think I think it's important. It is an important aspect to referee. I'm amazed sometimes that senior referees blow the whistle at the point of conflict, when in fact they should blow it when it's neutral and the crowd are quiet. So I think it's referees taking care and understanding when to blow is important to avoid the Clive Thomas situation. Let's go to Turf Moor next then from the Premier League. Burnley-Arsenal, Aaron Ramsdale in goal with a challenge on Vidra of Burnley. Initially, Anthony Taylor awards the penalty, but then has a look another, another look on the monitor and decides to change his decision. It was a very, very close call. Ramsdale does appear to get uh, a touch on the ball, so ultimately has the right decision been made here, Keith? Well, let us understand again, Mike, and I repeat it, sorry, that the ball can't act as a decoy when you're making a challenge. And I've talked about a careless challenge just now about the responsibility of the player making the challenge. The thing that really annoyed me here was that uh, Anthony Taylor is a top-class referee. He had problems in midweek in Europe, uh, which were pretty big. And that is, he showed a player a red card and then fortunately realised or was talked to in his earphone that that player had not received the first yellow. So, in fact, he issued a yellow card and followed by a red, and that player had not had, not received two yellows. So it was a major error in Europe for a referee of his stature, who I've praised because I thought he had a great Euros and he's had four weeks. I worry about the management of the referees fatigue and remember these guys are driving themselves backwards and forwards around the country was it time after a long sort of non non-break that anthony taylor should in fact have had uh, some time off i can remember when uh, howard did the euros he came back he'd had a really good howard webb he'd had a really good euros and i i put him and his two colleagues and the family into a hotel at Rutland Water 
just to have a week's rest and recuperation. I said, look, no training. That that Broward web is never on. You know he's going to train. You know he's going to try and run around Rutland Water. But at the end of the day, they just needed time to rest and recuperate. So here was a decision that I thought Anthony Taylor got right. It wasn't, a, a, again, a clear and obvious error. The VAR shouldn't have come in. Now, yes, we're going to have this discussion, aren't we? The goalkeeper, Ramsdale, did get to the ball first, but then he fought the follow-through took the player down. And so this so is... it's not it not enough for him then just to say, well, I got a, a toe to the ball and therefore everything that happens afterwards is irrelevant. Well, this is where it's it becomes subjective. And you say, right, okay, I'm awarding I'm awarding a penalty kick here. And and okay, uh, you know, a top class referee goes to the screen, a monitor has a look, but he glanced at it. And he's just said, okay, he's played the ball, I'm happy. Ramsdale knew what he was doing. And by the way, he had a good game, didn't he? He's playing well for Arsenal. Uh, I mean, since he left United. And good on him. But I'm just going on the basis that for VAR to come in, it's a clear and obvious error. And I, and I think I was rather surprised that um, Anthony Taylor changed his decision. Just like Sean Dyche said, you know, in other occasions that, that was a penalty kick that should have been awarded. So I'm, I think he was wrong to do that. Molyneux, the uh, sighting of uh, a long-awaited-for event, Keith. A player being penalised for holding an opponent in the box and a penalty awarded. And at last, something like this has been given. Well, I mean, I just, I just you know, I praised Aaron Ang- England because, I mean, what more could... <laughs> why does that player do that? Why do footballers do that? I mean, this was like not even subtle... <laughs> this was like, you know, I smile because uh, I can remember Big Daddy and WW or whatever it was wrestling on a Saturday uh, with Kent Walton. So I'm really showing my age here, Mike. But it was one of those types of sort of nonsense challenges. And if I was the manager of that player, I think I'd be taking the wages off him this week because I think that was outrageous. And then not only that, you then had... A bit later, didn't you? You had you had uh, Wolves Baptiste, uh, who's already on a yellow, just wrestles a player to the ground. Now, if the players think that they're going to get away with that, then I just I just don't understand it. I just don't understand why they make the task of the referee that much easier. And I think it, in the mental psyche of players, they're. They're putting up with that much holding and pulling in the penalty area. They think they're going to get away with it and the referee's not going to penalise it. And along comes Darren England carrying a flag saying, I'm going to penalise it. And his colleagues need to do the same. So praise to Darren for doing that and praise for him penalising Baptiste and issuing a red card. Spot on. Praise to at Carrow Road in, in order. Watford's third for Josh King. It counts after there was a late flag. It was found to be actually that Josh King was onside, so a goal is given that might otherwise have been taken away. I do generally think this year with um, offsides and the VAR that it settled down and it had to, didn't it? I mean, last year and the year before, it was complete and utter nonsense and a disaster ruining our game. So 
on that side of it, I support the change and I support the decisions that are coming out of it because I know they're going to be more accurate than they were last year. And on that one, fine. I think the late flight is an area that is likely to cause this injury to players. And that's where I've always sort of a bit concerned. Well, there was one at Molyneux as well, wasn't there, where uh, Ivan Tony thought he'd opened the scoring, but, I mean, the, the offside was not even close. So, I mean, there is clearly a well, balance still to be struck, yes. isn't there? Uh, I, I think that when you get a situation like that, you've got to actually, as the referee manager or his coach, you've then got to have a debate and you've got to say, look, you know, this was a metre and it was clear. There was no, there was no sort of confusion. You give this in the park, you know, and, and this is where this over complication of the laws and offside don't half make it different, difficult for the referee in the local park. By the way, Mike, I just want to mention there's really, really short referees at grassroots level. You know, I spoke to Simon Hall this weekend. Uh, Simon is a local referee and a, and a really good one. Great communicator. And Simon is the secretary of uh, Steel City Referees Association. His daughter is also a, a referee and doing really well. And uh, he, he told me yesterday he could have had 20 games this weekend, him and his daughter. That's how short we are. So... I worry about the activity levels. Um, I think the FA have got to get really busy promoting and recruiting referees. And then I think parents, as we touched on last week, where we praised the grassroots referee. You know, we had a referee at, at Penniston Church this weekend. I'm sorry, I haven't got his name to hand uh, against Thackley. And I, and I thought he did a super job. Good on him. But as I understand it, it was some Northeast County games now, this is like step six. They didn't have linesmen. They were short assistant referees. So I think that's got to be a real worry for Uriah Rennie, who's chairman of the referees committee and as a, in Sheffield and as a part to play with the FA. I think he's almost top guy. Uh, they've got a challenge. They need more referees. And I don't think the county is alone. Certainly. And, and look, if you're listening and you're involved in grassroots refereeing, we want to hear your stories as well. So do get in touch with the show. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk if you want to send us something. If you'd rather not give us your name, you want to send it in confidence, we can certainly do that too. Uh, we want to focus more on this uh, particularly as the uh, season goes on and maybe in the international break in the next couple of weeks, we will uh, focus even more yeah. too. We should offer up some praise because there's been a lot of negativity this week, Keith. Uh, but I, I saw on, on Twitter and I, I know you've been very complimentary of uh, the referee's performance in, in the Spurs-Chelsea game. Another thumbs up for Paul Tierney. Oh, I, he was outstanding, Mike. He, I, I mean, the quality of his decision-making. Look, the players themselves were on, on really good behaviour. It was, it was a terrific match. And referees can contribute to the game. And I like his body style. His body language is neutral. He doesn't, he just, he's like a sponge. If a player wants to sort of not have a go, but sort of have a look and a stare, he's just got this neutral look. That I'm not in conflict with anybody. I'm just, and he's not arrogant. He's just confident. And his decision making, I thought, was excellent. His positioning and reading the game, top draw. Yeah, the ball hitting ones. 
that he threw it to the goalkeeper. I think more in, and he was right in law because obviously they were in possession. But it was a look of disgust on his face. Why did I get hit with a ball? Um, because his reading in the match was was top draw. So I I think young referees ought to, if they can go, just, just take a look at that match. Take a look at his positioning. Take a look at his game game reading, his management. And people might say, well, he didn't have conflict and he didn't have this and he didn't have the other. The reality is it was because of him he managed the event. He showed great respect to the players, communicated well. You could see that with often the smile on the face. So I think this was an outstanding performance. And I think sometimes Paul Tierney, even I underrate him, but I, I watch very closely because I think this weekend needed a performance to actually finish the weekend off on a, on a brighter note for the PGML rather than the criticism. But please note, the criticism is coming from the over-excitement and interference of VAR. No such problems with VAR in the EFL, though I guess some managers will, will wonder why they don't have the opportunity because when you see things like the challenge in the Luton-Swansea game between Henry Lansbury and Ryan Manning, uh, if you haven't had the opportunity for this, Ryan uh, Manning is trying to prevent a free kick from being taken quickly, uh, kicks the ball away. Seconds, well, milliseconds later, Henry Lansbury has uh, essentially smashed a right boot through him. Uh, yellow is the decision from Tony Harrington for, for both players. Keith, you've seen this. Oh, I, it's a red all day, isn't it? I cannot see any reason or justification why Tony can actually give a yellow card for what is a really clear and obvious kick at, at an opponent. He was lucky he didn't have all the players around his neck and a, a mass confrontation. But I just think it was a straight red and off he should have gone. It, it, it brings another point. And the other point is the management of players and the management of set pieces. Ron Groves is a referee in the past, actually he's just got a book out. I'm reading it at the moment. That's why he's in, in the forefront of my mind. And Ron has this clear thing about restarts and managing the ball, first of all. Take control of the ball. And, and in this situation, if... The referee had managed that and, and sort of got involved by saying, look, I want you 10 yards away, 9.15 metres, come off the ball, blow the whistle, whatever. Didn't necessarily have to go to where the ball is. Just manage the set piece. He wouldn't have had that problem, but he did. And as a consequence, a red card should have been issued, not a yellow. And the fact that it has been given as a yellow now presumably means that no one else will be able to take a look at it and issue any further punishment to, to Henry Lansbury, who uh, his next three opponents might argue shouldn't be playing. Yeah, I think this is where one has to look at the FA regulations. You know, there's a general reluctance by FIFA to allow the FA to re-referee. But common sense says to me that this player should be sitting on his hands for the next three weeks. Whether he's frustrated or not, whether the player had some involvement in the challenge, you know, if you get two conflicting players, it doesn't allow the player, the opposition, to punch each other. They get sent off. And by the way, you don't have to make contact. You know, attempted a kick or an attempted thump, punch, is equally punishable by a red card. This was like a kick 
making contact with the player big time. I just, I just think, how could the referee see that as yellow? What I can only assume that he probably saw the afters and was looking at the result of it rather than actually, you know, did he hold his gaze? Was he managing the situation and looking, or was he in fight, running away, trying to get his, trying to get up a position? But for me, there's no excuse. Tony, if you're watching this show, that's a red card, mate. You were wrong. One more from the EFL before we go, and it ties in with, uh, well, I've got another suggested law change for you, Keith. So, Preston against West Brom. Darnell Furlong appears to take a throw in about 15 yards further forward up the pitch uh, for West Brom than it perhaps should have been. West Brom go on to score an equaliser against uh, Preston in the game as well from that long throw, and they are mighty weapons uh, for West Brom this season, uh, those particular deliveries. Now, this is something that was suggested to me when I was uh, hosting Football Heaven several months ago. We know that the referee has a spray can to, to mark out where the wall should be. Could assistant referees have a similar cat and to essentially mark down where the ball goes out of play and therefore where a player cannot go further forward than in order to take a throw in? Now, the immediate problem is obviously the assistant referees only cover half the pitch each. So there's a bit more running for a referee. But other than that, Keith, can you see a problem with that? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, this is down to poor refereeing. Uh, I think on this occasion, you know, the law is clear. The, the throwing must be taken at the point the ball has left the field of play, the touchline. Um, we know as referees that there's an allowance, and, and probably that's about a metre. Sometimes that gets extended, doesn't it, two or three metres. The law also states that if the ball, if the throwing is taken from the incorrect position, then the referee should blow and award the throwing to the opposition. How many times have we seen that? So I think the law covers the aspect of a throwing and the management of a throwing and weak referee. No, not weak referee, careless referee. Habits that are bad come in. I don't want to be pedantic, but you know, you're there to apply the laws of the game. So for me, I think this is really poor officiating. If I was assessing the referee in that game at West Brom, I, I, would, I would be actually downmarking him substantially because this is a key match incident error that's had an influence on the outcome of the game. In terms of the spray can, I, one of the difficulties I, I feel is that we're trying to get into a position with sort, sort of the low-key approach of match officiating, trying to keep the game flowing and going. And if we have a, an assistant referee who's perhaps in line with the end of the penalty area, watching that secondary and most defender, his position that he should be, and the throwing's up the field, and he's now got to leave that position, he's got to leave that position, go up, spray the point, come back, and, uh, and then take a position before the throwing can be taken. So my fear with the spray cap is just about the time that's going to be lost because there's too much lost at the moment on set piece, free kicks, etc. This is down to the referee. So for me, I, used to, I coach referees and I used to say, right, okay, just hold your position opposite where the ball is going out of play, indicate to the thrower as he's recovering the ball or he's, a, you know, he's going to take the throw, say to him, 
this is where I want to throw in taken. So you're giving them a date and point, take up your position, and then monitor it. And if 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 the player doesn't gives gives a couple of three yards, you let it go, maybe first time, you run alongside that player and say, Look, I've done the management bit now. If you do that again, it's going to the opposition. So I just think involvement and just not ignorance in terms of leaving players to do their own thing because they'll take advantage of weak refereeing any day. I suppose as well, it's not something you can implement at, at grassroots level. I don't know how much those cans cost, by the way, each. Do, do you have any idea, Keith? Probably a couple of quid, three quid or more. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Is, you know, is there I mean, a markup for from uh, from FIFA or anything? Because it's got to be official. I, I don't know. How does this work? Well, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, the PGM will have to purchase them, obviously. Uh, they were originally, and I don't know if they still do, but they, they were, you know, it was originated in, in Argentina. And the manufacturers were in Argentina. But I suspect now that they're used extensively around the world, there's more manufacturers supplying them. But, you know, they're all sort of the occasional problem of, of freezing. There's the occasional, I've seen one occasion I can recall where the player went down, uh, the referee went down to spray the line. He'd run out of, he'd run out of line. He forgot to replace <laughs> it. So that, that was highly amusing. And look on the face of the referee when nothing happened. I think they, I think that, they use more sparingly now, but I'm I'm for the spray can. Uh, so use them. Um, I think sometimes we, we have these things to help the process. And I generally think that the spray can has helped the process of getting 9.15. Excellent. But, well, not for throw-ins then. Fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll try again next week, yeah. Keith. If you've got a question for Keith, you can get in touch with the show. Hello at seethemgiven.co.uk or uh, if you want to promote a, a scenario, a law change, send us a message to the same address. You can get in touch with us on Twitter as well. Again, if you stay with us for the whole show, as many of you do now, thank you so much for listening. There are new episodes, if you're new to this, I've seen them given every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the show, tell people about it, let them know where we are. And you can do that really easily by giving us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help other people discover what we do here. For now, though, thank you so much for your company, Keith. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. We will see you next time.